This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge number two, and I'm here speaking on the level with Jamie Lamb. Jamie, I usually like to start by asking you to give us your full name, the name of your home blue lodge, and any offices or titles you may have connected to that lodge. My name is Jamie Paul Lamb. I was raised in St. John's Lodge number six, F&AM, in Norwalk, Connecticut, chartered 1765, um, and uh, that was um, just a little over four years ago, and um, and I have affiliated since then with uh, Oldwell Lodge number 108, AF&AM, in Norwalk, Connecticut, uh, because they needed to fill their officer's line a little more. Since then, those two lodges have merged, and now they are Oldwell St. John's Lodge, number six, F&AM, Norwalk, wow. Connecticut. Holy cow. So that's, the, that's Norwalk Masonry at the current moment. Um, and then I moved to uh, Pasadena and affiliated with South Pasadena, I moved to Los Angeles, affiliated with South Pasadena Lodge number 290, F&AM. Um, I forget what year they were chartered. 1860-something, uh, I believe. Uh, and now I have been in Phoenix, Arizona for a year and a half, and I have affiliated with Arizona number 2, F&AM. Do you know when we were chartered? I do not. I'm embarrassed to put yeah. me on but I do not. <laughs> I like to think about that sometimes. Okay. Um, and uh, and uh, titles. Um, I'm a member of the Scottish Rite. I'm a member of the Phoenix Valley of the Scottish Rite. Uh, I've been Northern Masonic juris Jurisdiction and Southern Masonic Jurisdiction in the Scottish Rite. And I have done the Royal Arch degrees but so just the just the chapter not the council or the commandery yet i intend to do those soon and i am a member of the uh societas rosacruciana um it, the the arizona college of the rosacrucian masonic rosacrucians and you're also the uh organist i'm the organist of arizona number two and I am the Worshipful Master of 2016, the sitting Worshipful Master of, Air, of Arizona Research Lodge, number one. Number one, that's right. Um, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, for 2016. And so now you kind of you got into that pretty quickly. You Knowing you, I know that you're into research and information and history and that sort of thing. Uh -huh. So you, you landed into the Research Lodge pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I've always been attracted to that sort of uh, uh, that sort of um, you know the writing of papers and Masonic erudition and and just the uh, the uh, scholarly approach to you know paper writing. I'm I'm interested in it because I don't know a great deal of, about it. Uh, I didn't go very far <coughs> in school, um, so so for me at 45 years old now. It's kind of been my own personal curriculum that uh, Freemasonry has helped me fulfill because I didn't do college. Um, so it's like you're doing the College of Freemasonry. It's like it's like yes, it's like Freemasonry has been sort of that uh, advanced 
has been a springboard for that sort of advanced education for me that I wasn't able to get when I was um, younger, coming from where I came from. So do you remember when you first heard of this thing called Freemasonry? Um, you know, I don't think it registered. For, here's what I, I have a hazy recollection of being probably um, early teens. And I remember looking on the back of a parked, of, of a big hoopty Cadillac or a Lincoln or something like that with, um, with some strange emblems on the back. And I believe there was an Order of the Eastern Star and perhaps a shrine emblem on this car. And I remember thinking, having a vague recollection that, uh, or, a, you know, just a vague idea, conception that, that these were something Masonic, you know, at that age. And then I didn't really um, uh, put anything else together around it. And I do remember thinking this. I remember thinking, are these people Muslim? <laughs> Muslim? Yeah. Look, the shrine is that the scimitar. The scimitar, so I could understand that, I guess. And, yeah, and just the... The I Eastern just, Star, okay. Yeah. The Eastern Star and, and uh, strange, obvi obviously emblems that are not associated with Christianity per right. se. Right, right. So I, 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 they registered as being vaguely religious, you know, and um, just in terms of the starkness of the symbols, you know what I mean? This is a pentagram, okay? This is a pentacle. This is, you know, um, it has these colors that obviously mean something in each of the arms of this pentalpha, right? Um, and then there is this crescent moon or scimitar or, you know, and, um, and some vaguely Islamic-looking symbols. And I remember thinking, you know... Um, if not Christian, what is this? You know what I mean? Having no real conception of anything, but uh, I was Catholic at the time. So, so after that, as a high school, when do you remember doing more research and really getting more curious enough to say, what what is this thing, and really digging into masonry a little more? Um, checking out the buildings. Uh, I'd seen some of the buildings, and I thought, and I do remember thinking back east in my tw yes, in my twenties. I remember thinking, wow, these are really magnificent buildings. You know, seeing like particularly uh, this lodge on Whaley Avenue in New Haven, Connecticut. It's actually Hiram Number One, chartered 1750. Um, wow. So uh, in in New Haven, Connecticut, which is where I got my third degree. So How cool. we kind of ordered out for my third degree, and I, I took oh, ordered out. Yeah. So I took it over there. Um, but uh, so that was great. They had a great Egyptian lodge room Ooh. done in in uh, sort of an Egypt pictures of them, yeah. Egypto Doric style, just an amazing, amazing Pennsylvania lodge. Grand Lodge has something like that. Absolutely, yeah, Pennsylvania Lodge does. Uh huh. Yeah, I've seen that one. So in the twenties, you were admiring the buildings. Yeah, the buildings and the architecture, and I thought to myself, if if this, um, there must be something to this. You know what I mean? I, I at that point, I had developed maybe a little more of a conception about masonry, and I knew that it was not, uh, it was not merely a diners club. Uh, I think I knew that there was, um, that there was some. Uh, there was the the allegorical or metaphoric use of um, stonemason terminology, like the vernacular of the 
operative stonemason trade. I think I knew that at that point and that, uh, that this was a fraternal order. So I think I still had kind of a Flintstones uh, view of masonry, <laughs> um, but uh, definitely more developed than um, my, my early teens. And then my first approach to masonry, is that what you were kind of getting there? Go that yeah, far? yeah, go that far. That's um, nice. yeah. So, um, so approaching Freemasonry came, it came after reading Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages. So I read that book. Uh, I had been for probably 10 or 15 years at that point on just a personal process of refinement, reading more, studying more. Um, as I said, because I didn't do college, I was just trying to catch up and trying to, you know, get, digging deeper into the cinema deeper into literature, deeper into serious music, you know, quote-unquote, uh, jazz and classical music, and, and just trying to develop some sort of personal culture and a cultural reference point for myself in the world, you know. Um, um, so in that process, which also included some religious ideas, which we don't necessarily talk about, uh, religious and philosophical ideas, things like that, um, uh, in that process, I came across several books, but but definitively, it was Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages, which had uh, two or three chapters devoted to Freemasonry. And by the end of that book, and the, the whole book is devoted essentially to the Western esoteric tradition or the Western mystery tradition and things like magic, hermeticism, Gnosticism, Neoplatonism, uh, and certain traditions like that. And, uh, and after that, I, I made it a point to make I a gotta, I gotta find out what's going on. And so what, what was your first, where did you go? I went in <clears throat> Connecticut. I went online. I was living in Connecticut where I grew up. Uh, and I had since I'd moved away and I had come back and this was later in life, late thirties. Um, or no, I was 40, 40, I was 40 years old. And I, uh, I said, um, I, you know, I got online just to see if there was a lodge close by. I came across the Connecticut Grand Lodge. Uh, there was something about, for more information, you could leave a, leave a, uh, thing here. So I, I emailed, um, I, you know, I think I just vaguely said, I'm interested, this is where I live. I think there was a place where you put where you live and they would direct you to the closest lodge to go visit and basically be a, a virtual liaison so you could set up a visit. I went there and physically knocked on the door of Freemasonry myself and, uh, and they let me in and, and I had dinner with them over the course of maybe two months. Um, uh, I think after that two months, I asked for a petition. There was no, here it's six months. I think it was only two months there that you had okay. to be around before you can get a uh, a signature of a, a voucher or a sponsor or whatever it is. But um, so, yeah. And I, you went and knocked on the door, and then uh, they let you in? I knocked on the door. They let me in. Um it was a lodge night, so for stated, um, I of course couldn't stay for stated, but I uh, I showed I kept showing up for dinners. They were great guys. They showed me around the lodge. Uh, St. John's and Oldwell were both very uh, 
kind of small watches, not not tremendous attendance. I'm talking about maybe uh, filling all the chairs and then maybe five guys uh, in each of them. So I don't know, maybe 10, 15 guys uh, show up on a uh, even on a stated. So kind of weak. So they got that's why they ended up merging. But um, uh, not the best attendance. No, I guess sometimes on a state of 20, 25 people. But um, so we ate a lot of pizza. That was, <laughs> that, that was, uh, there was a nice Greek pizza parlor right down the street. Um, so you, you went, you knocked on the door there that you went, you attended for a couple of months, and then uh, somebody said, yes, you're in, we'll let you in. I asked for a petition. Uh, I was pleased to know on the petition it said, um, this is a it's I'm paraphrasing. This is a petition for the the hidden mysteries of Freemasonry. That is a quote. I know it said the hidden mysteries of Freemasonry. And at that point, I was like, because I was getting worried. You know, there were just some old guys eating pizza. And then, they went in, <laughs> then they went into their meeting. You know, we weren't talking about alchemy. We weren't talking about you know. But uh, I read that and I was like, you know what? This is an issue. This is an initiatory order. I didn't read ahead. I could have read ahead because right. you could readily go and buy. Can, yeah. You can go ahead if if not online, you can go ahead and buy like Duncan's Ritual right in the bookstore. Um, so um, so uh, I read that and that assured me that I was going in the right direction. And then. Uh, we scheduled my and an apprentice degree and and my um i was positively uh um, i was very excited after that you know so what was it up until this point that was you did a lot of research what was it that was the draw for you what was it that was really calling you into masonry what was calling me into masonry was um A, a an idea that um, I could get a deeper sense of meaning um, out of life, that there were tools that could be procured that would um, enable me to uh, have a deeper, more comprehensive relationship w with my fellow man and also with um, human history in particular. You know, uh, the, the cultural, accumulated cultural history of mankind, you know, um, what we think of as civilization, you know, and... Uh, what we think of as, um, you know, because I have to preface this by saying that I believe um, the ideas of Freemasonry, um, whether whether nominally referred to as Freemasonry or not, um, go back to you know just disappear in history, uh, as does. Older than recorded history. Yeah. So as does masonry itself. I mean, because the further we look, I mean, 
this isn't, it's not tinfoil hat stuff to say that the further you look back, the bigger the true stones get. There are huge megalithic structures like Gebekli Tepe. That was 10,500 BCE. That's 12,000 years ago from now. That's 12,000 years ago. So it's like, that was the upper, I think that's like the upper Pleistocene, right? I mean, the Epipaleolithic era. That's like right after the last glacial thaw. So to have, so to have masonry, that is masonry, trude stones, quarried trude stones. That, some of which, as in the case of Baalbek in Lebanon, we would have a hard time moving today um, with what we have. So it, it fascinates me when you start talking about this stuff and you talked about how you didn't go to college and you felt this need to, to educate yourself. The, the grasp you have of history and language and all this stuff is you're over my head nine times out of ten. <laughs> well, I, you know, I attribute a lot of that to specifically my studies in and around Freemasonry. Wow, um, okay. And, you know, because... Uh, you can take that anywhere. I mean, you could take that. Uh, what is one of the things our G stands for is geometry. I'm not breaking any big secret there. Um, that's one of the things, the G in the center of the compass and square, uh, the square and compasses stands for is uh, geometry. So we talk about Pythagoras. We talk about the orders of architecture. We talk about uh, um, the seven liberal arts and sciences. Um, we talk about the founding fathers of our country. Uh, we talk about, um, you know, there are references to ancient structures, classical and otherwise. Um, so it's, you can pretty much go in any direction, history, mathematics, physics, you know, because look at the working tools. If those are, navigation, astronomy, definitely astronomy. There's a lot of astronomy in Freemasonry. So what is it that... Uh you mentioned some things on, on why you got into Freemasonry, the deeper connection to men, the, the search for knowledge. Um, you've now been in Freemasonry um, 10 years, maybe? No, no, no. four plus I'm sorry, years. I'm sorry, four, I thought you said 2004 now. Uh -huh. So four plus years. Uh -huh. So around the same time that I've been in, you're a little bit older than I am in Masonry, so we're both fairly new. I still feel that way. I'm a babe in the woods. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where what keeps you interested did you find are you finding what you came in to look for what keeps you coming back every every week every day what keeps me coming back is that um for me uh freemasonry is has become my foundation uh my sort of uh referential base for further study. So as I go forward in, um, as I go forward in, say, studying Hermeticism or Mithraism, I just wrote a big paper on that. Um, these these topics, or even things in mathematics, my interests in these things are are always um, viewed vis-a-vis -vis Freemasonry. So so it's with that being my sort of baseline critical mode. You know, um, it's, uh, that is my referential base. So to have that sort of foundation as opposed to um, nothing, 
you know, where you're just kind of cherry pick cherry picking concepts hither thither with no, you know, sense of depth or or field, you know, with which to compare them or you know, a sort of a yardstick or a litmus test. Um, so in terms of study, Freemasonry is my baseline. In terms of philosophy, I love the tenets of Freemasonry. They make a lot of sense to me in moral, ethical, even political philosophy. You know, I my ideas just naturally um, fit very well in uh, harmonize very well with a Masonic conception. You know, uh, and um, and it, it, and I don't see that changing, you know. Uh, in fact, I see that strengthening. And uh, and of course, you know, I talk about this stuff, but it, that isn't to neglect things like the the fraternal aspects, the the sort of uh, camaraderie that you feel among people who have been initiated into an order that you were initiated in, and that sort of bond. You know, truly a, a brotherly connection. You know, we we share certain things that are uncommon. You know, uh, initiatory rites. Again, going back, you know, to prehistory, initiatory rites have always served that purpose in mystery religions, in 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 primitive tribal communities. There's always a um, sacramental kind of initiatory order. That is, okay, you are passing from boyhood to manhood. Right, right. You are passing from... Usually at some certain age, yeah. you are initiated. Yeah. You know? there, and, and we have that... Okay. In Catholicism, we have confirmation. In Judaism, Communion. they have uh, communion. In Catholicism, Judaism, they have the... Uh, why is it escaping me? A bar mitzvah. A bar mitzvah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are several sacraments. Are many, uh, even from 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 baptism to the last rites. You know, including marriage and your confirmation and your communion. Right. There are ba- uh, there are ba- um, there are sacraments, uh, and you can you can extrapolate that same model into, um, of course, into masonry. It's obvious that we have uh, initiatory grades. You know, initiat- There's it's a group. You know, we have our degrees, um, but uh, you know, and and there's a negative side to that too. Look at uh, um, the initiation of, say, uh, prison, or the indoctrination of, uh, you know, in in prison, you have to learn how to live in that thing, navigate in that environment. Yeah, yeah. So there are certain uh, certain things that you learn and to become a part of that order, right? Um, to survive yeah. exactly so uh and and we have that in the in the military, and we have um a more insidious version of that with uh say television programming or hazing or uh bullying or things like that i mean there are there's always going to be a way of of sussing out who's who and what people are made of you know so what's the in your search for knowledge you are uh constantly seeking, constantly searching, constantly learning. What do you think, uh, I don't know if I want to say one of the best, is what is what's one of the things that stands out to you that you've really learned since you've been in Freemasonry? Is there a particular lesson or a particular thing that you've discovered that really stands out to you? 
like you, you spoke about Rosicrucianism, and I don't understand there or know a lot about what that is. That's a bit. That's that's uh, that's a biggie. That that has to do with uh, um, the melding of uh, alchemical ideas, esoteric Christian ideas, um, sort of, um, and Masonic ideas, uh, particularly around. Uh, Germany and Western Europe, but it was starting kind of in Germany in 1614, I think the Fama, the Rosicrucian Fama was written, which was uh, anonymously published, a group of, a group of uh, adepts who were privy to certain knowledge. Um, so, but, but to answer your question, the, uh, the thing the thing that has come to mean the most to me and the most universally applicable thing that I've kind of, that I definitely can attribute to my association with Freemasonry is, uh, is that, um, I can now, I have gradually learned to appreciate, um, symbol and allegory even in my mundane life around work you know uh, it has given me a strange perspective an uncommon perspective that I definitely attribute to Freemasonry that uh, um, sometimes life is allegorical you know even your mundane day-to-day -day, you know at, at work or at home there are there are certain interpretive there's a certain interpretive lens that we can that I have learned to bring into my life to kind of gain more meaning out of it. So um, you purposely change the way that you look at things. Exactly. Yeah. So so the appreciation of uh, symbol and metaphor and allegory and um, and once again, not just a diagrammatic image somewhere. I don't just mean rotely interpreting a symbol. I mean um, a deeper appreciation of life in a sort of um, through through a really a Masonic kind of lens. The simple things, like one of the things I always think of is when did red become that symbol for stop? Right, yeah, there's that. Why is red danger? Like, red, the color red somewhere along the way received this meaning yeah. and all this symbolism behind uh -huh. it. Where did that come from? Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's, and, and even that. So, so to get into that for a second, we might say there's got to be something with evolutionary biology about that, maybe. You know, you, maybe you could look at it as, uh, you know, there's, there's blood in red. Red means something. Right. Or, or, Perhaps there's uh, the flush of color into somebody's face when they're angry or something, you know, or they're excited or they're agitated. What do they, uh, they flush with red, right, generally? Um, there are other times where red would be, uh, fire can be considered red, or red could be considered a fiery color, I suppose, a right. warmer color. Um, so, yeah, there are things like that and kind of uh, bringing that, interpretive kind of idea and then um, and then you know things like uh, oh I drove um, in the rain to work 
and then I was, uh, you know, um, and they were closed or something. Let's say I drove in the rain. I'm making this is a totally rhetorical. I know where you're going. Yeah, go I, I drove in the rain to work, and I forgot that they were not that we were closed this day. You know, so I went there and the door was closed. So maybe, maybe if that actually happened, um, I would think, okay, what it would be, it would not be uncommon for me to think, wow, well, uh, rain and water in in dream symbolism are are generally refer to the the subconscious or the unconscious in kind of a Jungian term, right? So we, so maybe. It, you know, what else does this situation mean? You know, Did how would about the rain encourage you to go and forget that they were closed? Like you needed yeah. to make the journey. Is that what you're talking exactly. about? Exactly. So, okay. Okay. so there, it brings this other sort of, maybe it's a romanticized quest like element to life, yeah. you know? Um, but wh how is that bad? If I'm bringing the creativity right. of, uh, of, um, of symbolic interpretation into my life, you know. How is it bad if I, if uh, you know, um, I'm making connections with the world on a level that is more than just uh, eat, sleep, and reproduce? <laughs> right. You know. Right. Uh, Definitely. Right. So, what uh, have you made any? Uh, uh, going back to something else, you said, you know, one of the things we talk about is the brotherhood. Um, and one of the things I always like to ask people if there are any brothers that stood out to you that really embodied the the ideals we talk about in Freemason or who have been a, an incredible source, in your case, an incredible source of knowledge or encouragement to you. Is there anybody that stands out to you that's really been made a difference on your journey so far? Yeah, there was a man named Jimmy Robinson in my mother lodge. Uh, he's very sick now. I haven't talked to him in a while, though, I should call him. But uh, Jimmy Robinson was a, uh, or is, presumably still, a, a very uh, quiet, tool-and-die man. So he, he, he came up in the, in the tool-making trade. And that was my lot, too. But those places closed down right as I was coming into it, mm. right? So that's why no college and stuff like that, because okay. I was groomed to go into tool and die, which I'm from Bridgeport, Connecticut, Bridgeport Textron, Bridgeport Tools. So that's, it is definitely, that's what you do there, right? Um, so uh, I was going, and I, I was doing tool and die. I was learning, you know, handling a micrometer under a guy named uh, Heinrich, Heinrich Schreiber, you know, a German tool maker from oh, wow. Germany wow. Okay. was was teaching me to use a micrometer and and learn the the trade, right? But um, I got laid off, and then all of them were closing, and it was just the end of an era. But uh, anyway, G Jimmy Robinson, he was um, still in tools, uh, tool and die, and um, really kind of kind of a tall guy, kind of a big guy. Um, but very quiet and uh, and very dedicated to masonry. So he was uh, always showed up to the to um, stated communication. He was the treasurer at my mother lodge and had been for some years 
those guys, once you once you hit an office, you pretty much stay there for a while. It's not unusual to be worshipful master three, four years in a row. Oh wow! Yeah, so um, that happens, and then they'll just cycle through. Sometimes cycle through. Sadly, cycle through the same, you know, uh, five ten guys between in the chairs. You know, and everybody's doing something different each year. Sometimes, or they, you know, if you're the secretary or the treasurer, you just stay there. Anyway, so. Jimmy Robinson stands out as being one of the guys just because he 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 was kind of uh, a mentor for me, right? And uh, he said, uh, you know, he was like, "Well, you ought to. I guess you ought to look into the Scottish right now." And just the way he said it was, I don't know. It was so, he was so cool, you know, and just um, uh, really kind of matter of fact. And I really can't explain. I just kind of like that. That um, he did. All right. Here's the thing. I guess this is what it is. He he never over represented himself. You know, he was he'd leave a little to he'd he'd leave things for you to figure out. You know, um, wouldn't like lead you too much, and then definitely wouldn't. Uh, you know, despite the fact he had been around forever, been a Mason forever, uh, had done a lot with the Scottish Rite, and was a very learned Mason. I mean, knew a lot of ritual and uh, and could talk about you know Templarism and Rosicrucianism and all these various little tributaries and and extensions of Masonry. Right? Um, could talk about that stuff, but never really. Uh, you'd almost have to pry that stuff from him somehow. And I don't know, there was just something about his delivery, a very cool customer. So, <laughs> With um, a lot of hidden knowledge you didn't know unless you really talked to him. Exactly, and he wouldn't, he, he, he was, uh, he was the embodiment, I think, of uh, um, see, hear, and be silent. You know? Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I just uh, I I do not do that. I I, I could be a, I could be better at uh, following uh, Jimmy Robinson's uh, example. I tend to talk a little too much. Um, but you're excited when you talk. You're usually very excited about something. Yeah. So I'm going to interrupt you a minute here. All right. I need a plug. We're about to die. Okay. Um, uh, but I want to keep talking. There are several questions I want to ask you. Well, so, bring a out that uh, or we can go in somewhere and just to find out where we can plug in. It's up to you. Oh, um, plug into it. I need power. No, I need power, and I don't have a USB. Uh, so well, either a computer or a plug that, that a USB plug into. I know into. where we can go. Okay. Here, let me grab. And I can't pause this, so we oh, just, oh, we have to go now. We have to keep report. Yeah, I can't pause this recording, unfortunately. Yeah, let's go back here. <laughs> So, but, you know, this isn't the craziest thing that's been happening when I've been doing an interview. Can you so. call the dog? Go get your mommy. I always think it's kind of cool when this happens. It's like, this is real life, you know? This is yeah. This is kind of when people look back in 50 years, and be like, dude, you had to walk away to get power? Your thing was dying? Why? What, what the heck was that all about? Okay. Um, USB is right there. Okay. So I'm going to plug in to some USB right there. Can you say bang it? I'm in, and I'll plug into my phone. Okay. Okay. So sorry about that. Uh, 
disruption, everybody, but I'll plug Jamie back in with his mic here, and we'll get started again. Because I didn't want to stop, because there's a couple of things. A, you got a chance to talk about Jimmy a little bit, but I wanted to make sure you had a chance to, if there was anybody else, anybody else come to mind as somebody who's really stood out to you or made a, a difference on your journey? John Nichols is one. You know John Nichols. John's the grand lecturer for Arizona Grand Lodge. Yeah. Yeah. We've um, interviewed John, actually. Oh, you have? Yep. Yeah. Uh, John Nichols, I just saw him yesterday. Oh, okay. Uh, we hung out for several hours yesterday. But, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I could say that he was my invite in the Societas Rosicrucianum. Oh, okay. And you need an invite. Really? Yeah. Okay. And, um, and uh, we had, about a year ago, and I could say this, too, um, we're we're both involved in another order that is not Masonic. Uh So uh, there is another, uh, and then, and and I was there, and I knew he was a Mason, and he knew I was a Mason as well. And, uh, And although we had never sat in open lodge, so we met at, we actually met at another function. Oh, right? interesting. Yeah, so I didn't, but I knew he was a Mason. Um, so, and he's pretty high-profile Mason. In, yeah, in, well, he's a I mean, he's, he's a member of the Grand Lodge. Yeah, so uh, I came to know that after meeting him elsewhere, okay. right? Which was strange, but uh, anyway, so I heard him say, uh, all right, so let me go back a little bit. When I was in Connecticut, I was interested in Society of Cruciana, and I, you know, you just, you can't contact the cop, the, the state just walk and say, hey, how do I get in? <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. So it's okay. like, there's just no way to do that, right? So you put the feelers out, and, you know, people of a certain temperament, uh, hermeticism, magic, hermetic Kabbalah, Things like that. Okay. So things you're liable to read about in Morals and Dogma. Okay. Right? So in the Scottish Rite, maybe you'll find some people who are in the college, and that's even, you know, a little further in that direction, you know? So Scottish Rite and then the college and things. So anyway, so we were hanging out at this other thing, and I and I knew John was a Mason. He was talking to somebody else, and he's like, da-da-da, the college. And I heard him say that, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so then... So then um, we were talking, and I was like, I heard you say, say something about Society of Swords of Christianity. He's like, oh, yeah. And um, due to the fact that we were both members of this other thing, he would have already known where I'm at in in regarding that, right? So regarding uh, the Western esoteric tradition particularly. And uh, because of that, he extended an invitation at that point, and that just was like, I was like, finally, because in LA, I was in LA, I was trying, in Connecticut, I was trying, just you know, constantly vigilant about when am when am I going to look look for a pin somewhere or a clue somewhere? It's like searching for something, right? That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So 
because you never know because nobody talks about that. They don't talk about it. It's not brought up because it's, I guess. Like I said, I've heard the term, but I don't know anything about it. I know I've heard the term Rosicrucian. It might even been in a movie. Right. I just know I know it from somewhere. Right. There are different Rosicrucian orders. Though. Oh. So there are ones that are not Masonic. This is the Masonic Rosicrucian. Oh, okay. Specifically. And I knew that he was talking about that after, you know, in short order after talking to him. But, um, so anyway, and then... He's somebody that has, has had an impact on your journey. Absolutely. So he's he's a paper writer. He's very, um, you know, he's the grand orator. And he's uh, he was the worshipful master of the research lodge in 2015. Right. The year before me. And... Um, and there's just we've related on so many levels, and we, uh, you know, he's a, he's I consider him a dear friend and a brother. Of course, he's a brother because we're all brothers. We're we're Masons, um, uh, and he is uh, just a, a tremendous human being who's so very active, you know. And I admire the time and the effort that he that he uh, puts in to Masonry. It's just the, the I don't and he's he's uh, again a new father new family new family man yeah so that's that's two children now young children both of them and uh, you know just to uh, he's a professional you know um, works for the state I believe Somebody, doing something I, right we we had lunch downtown at uh, I forget the name of that Mexican restaurant right right on Central or Seventh Ave yeah. Anyway, yeah. So he's um, he's just uh, very active, very very knowledgeable, and uh, and you know you know you know what else I admire about him is it seems that he could just jump into any position and and be an authority. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I would second guess myself. Like I am petrified of this first. Uh, meeting of the research lodge coming up. Really, I have to tell you that I am like <laughs> I don't know. I, and it's I, funny you say that because you just seem like a natural to me. That just makes sense. That I, I don't know how it happened so quickly. You walk in, boom, you're worshipful master of the research lodge. But to me, that seems like your home. To me, that seems like where else would you go? That is the place for you. Oh, I'm terrified. <laughs> I I've never wielded a gavel. You know what I mean. Oh, I've never okay. been the master of a lodge. Right. So I got a, back east. I got as high as senior deacon. And then and then they caught on that I played organ, and ever oh. since then I've I've been relegated to the organist chair, oh, which is fine. You know, everybody seems to like it, and that's my little uh, that's my way of saying you know maybe one day I'll get in line again. But everybody seems to be digging the organ. Yeah, and, it's nice nice to have. And it, and everybody says they appreciate that, and maybe uh, maybe a real organist will come along. One day, and I'll what be able to, to what I mean is I'm not an actual organist for real. I'm not a trained organist. there are people I don't use the foot pedals, okay I use my left hand, yeah, so uh there are people who actually can navigate that instrument a lot better than i can i'm I am faking it <laughs> it's true. I don't think you give yourself enough credit <laughs> well um. I pity the organist who who can't tell that that I'm uh, just kind you're, of like, you're self-taught. You you know just but from what I know about you, everything you do, if you want to learn something, boom, you figure out and you learn it. That's you know I just, I'm I hope I'm projecting that because that's I try to do that. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, so hopefully that's what happens with this research lodge coming up. <laughs> you're uh, thinking and you're just going to go see if you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but less and less, and this may be due to masonry as well, uh, less and less am I feeling like, uh, oh, my God, I'm an imposter, and they're all going to find out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I do um, know what you mean. So less and, I don't find myself in that situation as much as I did when I was a younger man. Sure. You know? You getting in life over, experience to rely on. Right. Yeah. Getting it over my head all the time and, and just trying to be inconspicuous about not knowing anything. <laughs> well, really, that's all the great, the great uh, leaders. You don't know everything. There's no way anybody can know everything. You just got to be able to respond and, and right. make good choices. That's all. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was going back to the paper you mentioned before on Mithraism. Uh-huh. And I had a chance to read that, and I know you got it published somewhere. Tell me a little bit about, if you don't mind, how did that get started? Where did you, where did you first come up with that research plot, or when did you start kind of looking at that as a as a, a paper, an idea to really develop? Uh, that came that came actually from uh, looking at the similar. You know what the key was to in order to apply. Um, what I, in order to contrast and compare what I was learning about Mithraism to Freemasonry, or viewed against the backdrop of Freemasonry, and to explore the kind of juxtaposition there, yeah, yeah. Um, the key between those two for me was Christianity, because of the notable similarities between Christianity and Mithraism. Mithraism. Hmm. So uh, you could read about those anywhere. Uh, there's just a lot of the Mithraic model had has survived in Christianity. Um, so um, through that sort of, uh, uh, I guess triumvirate, triumvirate, uh, triumvirate of uh, of traditions. Christianity, Christianity, Freemasonry, and Mithraism. Um, there just seemed to be a lot of over, symbolic overlap, theological overlap. Uh, now, now with Freemasonry and Mithraism, uh, it is especially um, comparable. There are certain things that are especially comparable, like the grip. The syndexioi, they're called. Syndexioi or are fellows of the grip. So they knew oh, each other by yeah, a grip. Yeah, right, right. Um, and I was fascinated by some of this stuff that I didn't realize went back to the the Roman soldiers and, yeah. and some of the things they practiced. Uh-huh. And when you compared them, I was fascinated when I read it because I've never really delved into any of that stuff. Yeah. And that, that one that got published in that little paper was actually sort of a little more than an abstract of a much longer um and fully cited paper that wow. I that I wrote like APA style. I mean, wow. that's there's a really fleshed out paper of that that you didn't see. But uh, but uh, again, one of those things you know that uh, that um, you know you get into paper writing and you get into the crews of people who are interested in that sort of right. uh, Masonic scholarship kind of thing and and uh, and. Um, you know, then there's other publishing avenues you might look at and things. So I'm on the, you know, 
I'm on the first couple steps of hopefully moving in that direction. I'd like to do that. Maybe that would be my publishing work. Maybe that would be your first piece to be published. Right. And that was the one in Connecticut Freemasonry oh, okay. Magazine. That that little article edit of a much longer vetted paper made it into, you know, I just cut a little bit bit of it out. Like I said, a little more than an abstraction from this what they needed yeah, yeah. to fit what they needed. I had to pare it down quite a bit, and it was still, you know, a two-pager in Connecticut Freemasonry magazine. So that was uh, as big as they would let you submit, right? Um, anyway, so, yeah, and uh, I just found it fascinating that there were a lot of uh, um, obviously relatable components of both traditions. So what's the, what's the future of Freemasonry look like for you? Um, for me personally, or what do I do? You personally. Uh, for me personally, um, I think that uh, one day I would like to get back in line, back in the officer's line. Um, although that's terrifying. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's terrifying to... I don't know if I can... A lot can, of ritual to learn. A lot of... The ritual, that would be one thing. Um, what's terrifying to me is running a stated meeting. Huh. You know, when you get somebody who wants to bring up a certain challenging kind of point or something. I'm not the sort of person who will readily digest systems like Robert's Rules of Order okay. or parliamentary kind of rules like that. And here's the thing. Honestly, I have zero interest in it. I have zero interest in bureaucracy. I have zero interest in finances or e economics. Right. Uh, I am not that guy, you know what I mean? And um, that day-to-day -day drudgery of running a lodge that... I have zero interest in that. Yeah. Ritualism, I'm down. Uh, <laughs> initiatory uh, things, um, lectures, stuff like that, I mean, I am way down. For all of that, but uh, but um, I just you know like like even at home I relinquished the checkbook and all that. When Stephanie and I got married, uh, I was like, "Do, do you want to do this? <laughs> please, please, yeah. please do this. Would you be the financial well, person?" That's that's interesting because I think that's part of that's part of knowing who you are. You know what motivates you. You know what interests you. You know what you're good at, mm. and that's you know. Kind of when in Mason we talk about you know growing as a man that's that's what you've done I think that's yeah. that's admirable, you know and it might be that uh, strengthening that lameness that I have in those other departments you know what I mean um, might come from Masonry that might be one of the things yet to yet for me to uh, or maybe the next kind of leg of the journey for me is right. starting to strengthen these areas that I'm obviously. Uh, lacking. But that's the cool, I think one of the cool things about Freemasonry is you can take, sometimes there's all this pressure as a person to be perfect everywhere, and I think that you learn that sometimes you can't be perfect at everything. So if you could set those aside for now, like you have done, like now you know that that's not what you are good at and want to do, and maybe it doesn't mean you're giving it up forever, but right. maybe like you said, the next leg of your journey is, okay, now I pick that that tool up and learn to work with that tool. Right. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. Any any closing thoughts you want to leave in, uh, to people who might be listening to this? Well, I will say that um, I appreciate you interviewing me, and, and uh, I'm flattered that that uh, 
you know, there's even a possibility of something, somebody listening to this and thinking that, uh, you know, um, imagining that my opinion uh, might make a difference to one person or that they'd even consider my opinion. So thanks for that. But uh, also, I guess the last thing is that um, it is never once have I felt that I had wasted a second in any of my Masonic endeavors. Like, no matter what. Um, uh, sometimes I don't want to go on a Tuesday, um, and I don't go sometimes. But, I mean, <laughs> there are times when I don't want to go that I do go, right? right? Because out of a sense of, you know, it's, it is within the length of my cable toe in the first square of my work, you know. So, so I do go. Um, and... Uh, not never once have I felt like I wasted my time or that I didn't learn something. So I'm always um, deepening my relationship with Freemasonry. I have zero regrets out of any of the hours and hours and hours of time that I put into Freemasonry. That's true. Um, uh, within and without the lodge, you know what I mean? So uh, like today, uh, you know, I've read. I was in Pillars of Wisdom, Rex Hutchins, Arizona. Wow. Rex Hutchins. I was. I was reading that today. Wow. Well, I, I will pick up a. Um, Not while you're reading. <laughs> no. So, um, so I, I'll reference these things, and I think about, and it's in my life, all the time. You know, I have zero regrets about approaching Freemasonry and uh, using it as uh, a rule and guide. Of, of my face, you know, and uh, of course we apply that to the volume of sacred law, you know, um, but there's another thing, that volume of sacred law to me uh, would not have nearly as much meaning without the, uh, the interpretive key of Freemasonry. So I guess that's the important thing. All right. Well, thank you very much for talking to me today, Jamie. Yeah, I appreciate thank it. Thank you.